Hello and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here, not with the other Bond daft crew. We are of course ranking Bond, but this is the second part of the longer ranking section and therefore there wasn't an actual introduction done because I'm doing this in the edit. So this is now going to go back into the rest of the conversation. We had a break, so this is us coming back from the break, going into rank more Bond. Enjoy. Right, now we're at a point where even myself looking at these four films, I struggle to kind of rank them in a way. I I, I know where my heart says, but there's points about each film here that edge each one over. So just for the audience's sake, we've got four films left. The Living Daylights, License to Kill, GoldenEye and Casino Royale. Who, right, so Gordon, you've already tried to get the um, the Dalton films in and I feel this is maybe where... Casino Royale, oh, I don't know, maybe. Right, The Living Daylights, could that go here? Or does is it in the top of three? The four, I think, I mean, this is, as it happens, this is actually the same as my personal top four, these four films. And I, I could get by with The Living Daylights being four at this point, because I think the three that we've got left are the three best films of the entire franchise. I have ranked Casino Royale fourth of these four. These are the four I have as my final four. But looking at the merits of that film over The Living Daylights, I struggle now. I've got Living Daylights as three as well. So I, I would only put Daylights... Yeah, yeah, Casino Royale, I think it's just something to do with the fact that I've seen it less that is maybe why it's fourth and maybe with more viewings it would go. Because when I think of it, I think of it as a real classy well-made film and just executed perfectly from what they envisioned and there's something about that that is a is a strong contender for above the living daylights which we've spoken about earlier does suffer in that final third yeah the i think that the sort of location hopping in particular towards the end of the living daylights it's it's the only film of those four where i sort of got a bit lost yeah. The other three, I think, hold my attention for the entire film. The Living Daylights has at least a proportion of it where I lose track or I lose focus or they go from Afghanistan to Morocco to... They're in Karachi at one point, which is Pakistan, I I think. And they um, had a, a security guard from Birmingham as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so <laughs> I, I take it nobody would agree that Casino Royale would be fourth. No, 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 no. Well, I would oh, say I I'd say The Living so. Daylights is number four. Right. Gordon, you've obviously pitched for The Living Daylights at number nine. I'm assuming you'd be quite happy <laughs> to see it at number four. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's a, that's a slightly weird top four to me because um, I couldn't imagine The Living Daylights and Licensed Skill, both Dalton films, lasting this long. As much as I love Dalton, I just feel in terms of overall... I think... Yeah, def- definitely be The Living Daylights, but um, yeah, The Living Daylights would be the one I watched. Casino Royale will be the one I watched the least out of all these, but I think for what it did to the fran- for the franchise at the time, is there's so much quality stuff going on there. But yeah, a living daylights for me, um, and I'm not saying this is right, I'm just saying if um, in my own, as Steve mentioned, his personal sort of top list, the living daylights for me wouldn't have even gone into the top 10. So I mean, it would be... Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it, yeah, it would That's be... That's fascinating. I, I mean, I generally am surprised by that. Like, I, I don't know... Is it just because the villains mainly? Like, do you just not feel they stack up to what you feel the Bond villains should be? 
Yeah, the villains, the I feel it just kind of goes downhill and it becomes a bit unfocused when it goes into into Afghanistan and there's the stakes aren't high enough, you know, for Lane. The film they try to do too much too quickly with when Bond then as much as I like when Bond has that final confrontation with Whitaker, it kinda comes out of nowhere. I don't feel there was enough of a presence from Whitaker in that film for it to build up to that being the final battle with a villain. It was like he never really did anything directly to do with Bond, so I just found that it was a bit disjointed that way. I but can see that. I can see that. I think the the reason that I think the positives in Loving Delights are more are more Dalton's performance has has revealed the start, the pre titles, and just how classic Fleming Bond it is, and how it it's got that it's got that hint of realism in it. Yeah. So there's there's so much to love about it. Um, can I can I throw some cats among the pigeons, like Gordon would say? You can throw dogs amongst the pigeons. Right, wait till you're this, right? So, can I tell you what my top three would be? Okay. So, number one, which I think is the ultimate Bond film, and I think that it really pulls a lot from the books, and that Fleming Bond is Casino Royale. Number two, for being just, you know, I'm going to say it, nostalgia and being like basically knowing it inside out loving the music and uh, great bond actor golden i would be number two and number three license to kill because that was the one that led the way i think two films like golden and casino royale like I, I mean honestly license to kill is just an incredible film i think um really potent really really strong bond movie that's what I would put as my top three. Yeah, I wouldn't see. I I don't want to come across as a an anti Dalton person here because I'm not that at all. I think I was the first one in the whole podcast to praise the guy. Um, because it's funny because see out of these three, I would actually say License to Kill is the one I watched the most because, like I said, there's just something very magnetic about that film. That's, and I think the fran- yeah. I don't know where the franchise would be without it. That's what I find crazy then that you're wanting to put it below a lot of the other films because to me that would be an indicator yeah, that this film does something know, so much better than all the others I know I know I know Steve but I think part of the reason I like it is it's because it's such a compelling action film but I don't feel that it's it quite encapsulates Bond as much it's it's kind of like an alternative Bond to me but it's just if I want that sort of instant hit of excitement at a particular time I'll put that film on for me, so that, strange, I would say uh, that's it, the strength to... of the film, but I get I get what you're saying. It doesn't have the the sort of spy nature, maybe, or something, or the flamboyance <laughs> of the late, of the earlier films. Um, well, see, see if you're thinking about the top three there, right? You've got there's something poetic about Casino Royale being right there because that's right where it all started, isn't it? In a sense, in a way, you know. Um, then you've got GoldenEye, which is you know. It's all about that transition from the Soviet era to the Cold War era, you know? There's something really strong about that. And it's still got that Dalton kind of harshness to it. And and a license to kill, I mean, I really think you've got the three elements of Bond. You've got the flamboyance and the money in Casino Royale. You've got the Fleming Bond killer You've in, in License to Kill. And in GoldenEye, you've got the Cold War Soviet thing. Do you know what I mean? In, in the end of an era. And the, the, those are three, like, if you were to have, like, the three pillars of Bond, I feel like the flamboyance, the spy, and the um, 
uh, Cold War are three pillars of Bond. Yeah. See, this is where I wonder how clinical we have to get because I I don't know how controversial or otherwise this is, but I suspect Goldeneye is in there, and we all love Goldeneye. But I wonder if that is because we're all roughly the same age, and Goldeneye is kind of the film from our era, and there's a lot linked to it, in particular with the the game and the sort of age that we were all at at that time. We've got those sort of nostalgic sort of memories of it. So Goldeneye as a film is fantastic but i don't know how personal that is for us whereas the other two casino royale i think is particularly important because it's it's the first of the fleming films it's the start of sorry it's the start of it's the first of the fleming novels it's the start of the soft reboots um and it was it was a complete change it was stylish it was everything changed and it's kind of got us to where we are today and i think license to kill is so i mean it's my top and I think it's so important because it's the sequel to Diamonds Are Forever that we never had. It's Bond going rogue on a personal vendetta to kill down to, uh, to hunt down and kill someone who, in this case, didn't kill his wife, but the next best thing, which is killed his best friend's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's two of the three that are looking clinically at it important and one that perhaps is a slightly more personal love that is more difficult to let go of um yeah i mean i'll have to to speak on that i i I completely acknowledge that there's definitely an element of the love of goldeneye that um is purely on the time that i saw it you know there's this phrase i think people use it with star wars mostly the first one is always your favorite and in this case it is with goldeneye um i have tried to tried to be objective and try and look at it as a film and where its strengths lie in comparison to the others and its weaknesses um and i'm definitely open and well i'm not gonna like completely you know dig in and and try and convince you guys that it's number one because i know that's probably not gonna happen um i can accept that the other two maybe have more of a chance um well they obviously do if Goldeneye isn't that so but um I, I think for for me Goldeneye I've said it before loads of times it's the cast and I love the music as well it's that theme song it's Brosnan it is most charismatic and it, all those things I won't go over it all but villains I love and the action scenes I love the stunts I love at the end all that kind of the, the stunt at the start of the dam so there is a lot there that's not just the film I saw when I was whatever age, 10 or 11. Um, License to Kill is also up there for me uh, as my second film. Obviously slightly just lower than Goldeneye. I'm trying to work out why it is there. That's not that, that doesn't edge it above Goldeneye. It might just be I don't find Pam as interesting as I found Natalia. I don't know. That can't be it. That's not it. Definitely not. I think don't, I, don't you think it could be because you loved the whole transition from the Soviet to yeah, it might be that setting that setting alone the Soviet Cold War era transit well transitory thing that Bob, uh-huh. Goldeneye had and, and Spy versus Spy like I mean the fight between Trevelyan and Bond is the most intense fight ever yeah and you can tell that they're both I mean you can in that fight in the cradle they are out to absolutely murder each other with every hit. I mean, there is no stronger fight. Yeah. I don't think in terms of seeing, like, if you want to talk about, like, 
you know, a slight sense of kind of how cool it is when you're watching it, say, as a British person, and you're thinking, there's two fully trained British agents, evenly matched, fighting each other. You know, like the ultimate like XSAS spy fighters, you know, who are just a cut above anyone else, you know. I mean, it's it's thrilling to watch, actually. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I don't think License to Kill's got that. I think that, that that personal vendetta thing that's going on, there's something, it's not just because Golden, I mean, I acknowledged it when I said it, you know, nostalgia, definitely, but it's not just that. It's not just that. But I do think, and I think if it was that for me, then I'd have it as number one, whereas I've got Casino Royale as number one. Because I can objectively see that Casino Royale is more bondy than either of the other two. Yeah. You know? I mean, Casino Royale is like, if you were to spend years like in a brewery trying to condense bond into a drink, <laughs> like, that would be it. Casino Royale is the flavour of bond. It's like the taste of, of, of the franchise, like the, everything that makes it what it is is in there. And it's and it's not too much of it or too little of it or it's just perfect. Something because... Objectively, that's what I sit as well, actually, in terms of Casino Royale. Personally, it's licensed to kill, but objectively, Casino is... I mean, it's, it's almost the very definition of Bond film. Uh... Everything is there. It's It's got the, the history. It's got the... Um, there's a craft with Casino Royale that's been like the the cinematography and things like. By the way, did Steve McCall's microphone cut out? No, I don't think so. Did it? Uh, I hope not. No, no, oh, no. It's just because you were. I think you were just thinking about what you were going to say. Um, Gordon, what's your thoughts on this? And you would put License to Kill lowest of these three, would you? So we so we cemented Loving Daylight at number four. I'd. I might have missed that. Oh, of course you can't see this thing. Uh, yeah, sorry. I thought you. I can. I just. I did. I didn't. I'm not sure if I heard them confirmed, but that's good because. No, yeah. I, I, I think yeah, the Living Daylights is confirmed as four, so it's we're talking top yeah. three now, and we're swaying between. Yeah. It sounds like Casino Royale is going to edge above both License to Kill and Goldeneye. For me, in my own personal list, it's the bottom of the three, but I also recognise, similar to Steve, that. Um, it might be the better film somehow. There's a, a bit more consistency with it and a vision that's been executed fantastically. Well, it was the main objective, basically. If you think about it, right, they must have sat around the table and said, we have to make the most Bondy Bond film of all time, right? But pair it back, right? So all of the things that make Bond enjoyable and, and give it the flavour have to be in this film, but not too much of it, not go over the top on women, on gadgets, on whatever, do you know what I mean? Well, I would say, actually, they did the opposite of that. I would say they made a very un-Bond, and I say that so, like, inverted commas, because they took out what had become people's perception of Bond. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm talking about Bond from the books. Right, right. Like, you know, I mean, I watched Casino Royale again recently, and I just loved, I just love the whole... Uh, casino scenes like the set of scenes in the casino and I love the, the like I love the bit as well where Bond sleeps with the woman and then they find her lying on the beach the next day and the consequences are there and I just love like, I love when he has to escape and he has to get the defibr- defibrillator and that's the gadget yeah I do you know, like that yeah. and you've got the doctors talking to him over like the headphones to, to give him the instructions the torture scene you know um, 
Le Chiffre, like losing his cool and his eye bleeding at the game and he storms off. The brutal killing of the African dictator guy in the hallway, like just and the killing at the start. Like this no Bond film shows how horrifying the killing is. And then Bond and um Vesper getting in the shower afterwards and washing the blood off, just lying there in the water. I mean it's it's just so just I don't know. It's just perfect. There's an arty or something feel to the film that they've really focused on the visuals and worked on the storytelling, and not to like the detriment of, like I feel like that stuff was sometimes there with the films, but they always focused on trying to get a one liner or humor there to take away from it a little. That they sort of like, you know, they're always thinking of the audience reaction. In this film, they're more about the focusing on the story and the character characterization this time and um, bring that to forefront but build up the chemistry between Vesperland and, and Bond and establish that well and things like that and I think that's something to be yeah something to be kind of commended I think the way it effectively established Bonds eventually after so many films that where a lot of Bond was a mystery so the way he became a double O agent the way he came to be in possession of that Aston Martin that became so iconic the way that he discovered his signature drink, the way he discovered one-liners, effectively. It's all kind of in there. Everything kind of makes sense after watching Casino Royale. You can watch every Bond film, and Casino Royale kind of fills in the holes. It goes right back, and it kind of establishes the history. So you have a... You understand Bond, I think. And you also get an idea of... You also get a bit of an idea of Bond's... Like, where Bond's... Because Bond is a misogynist. There's no doubt about yes, that, yes. right? But after what Vesper does to him and when he climbs out of the water and says the bitch is dead, right? That's like distilled. I mean, that's a line from the book, yeah. right? But what it is also is it's a it's an acknowledgement of that note being struck on the piano of Bond's thread of misogyny that runs through everything else. Because you can see right there how he would feel that way towards women where that mistrust and that maybe negative opinion comes from, you know? And it's not justifying it, but it's acknowledged that it's a slap in the face watching the film, isn't it? It's a very strong moment because you can see how damaged you would be by by an experience like that, where in order to get over the feeling of of loss, you almost have to be even more cold-hearted and more horrible, you know? I just think it's so strong, you know, and it doesn't shy away from things that are maybe slightly unpleasant you know i mean why is bond the way he is well that film shows it okay it really does show it um as um, much as i would have yeah i'm coming around to it being higher than free uh what are we putting in then as free if gordon what's what's your thoughts on these three then well it's funny like i said license to kills the one i watch the most because sometimes you just need that that fix of excitement and danger um but then again, like the only one of these three that would have gone into my personal top three, I think, would have been Goldeneye, and I think it would have actually been number three, probably. Um, Casino Royale, not quite up there, but it's more. It feels more of a Bond film, so I'm gonna say License to Kill. And like I said, I've I've talked time to again how much I love Sanchez, how much I love Bond in that. Um, the Vengeful Bond. I like the fact for once Bond isn't working for MI6. Um, I love the, how the happiness turns to horror with Lighter's Wedding. I love the... There's great stunts as well. I mean, where it does feel like a Bond 
the film is like where you see Bond doing the barefoot water skiing, which is just incredible. Tossing a guy out of the plane while they're playing the Bond theme, I think it's just brilliant. Um, I think Pam's good until she's not. I think the, one of the problems in License to Kill is there's a weak, I mentioned a weakening of characters and I feel there's a weakening of Pam's character. I feel there's a weakening of Professor Joe. I think there's a weakening of Felix Leiter. The, the lighter one's maybe more of a problem because it's, I know it's just one scene, but, and so, well, maybe this isn't as much as a problem as Pam, but with lighter, it's the fact he suddenly seems all jolly sitting in the hospital bed saying to Bond, yeah, let's go fishing. I'd Great. never, yeah, I'd never noticed that until you pointed yeah. out in the cast and that does bother me now. I do think about that. Yes, it bothers me a lot. And what bothers me about Pam, I think she, on the whole she's great, but later on she seems a bit clueless. Like you mentioned before, Steve, when she's stopped, when she's shot Dario, she says to Bond, are you all right? Oh, and then he's like, God. switch the bloody machine <laughs> off. Yeah. And then, and then also with Pam, it's, she just, she seems a bit daft later in the film and then, in, in many levels I think what maybe annoys me the most is at the end after the strength of her character just how how full of attitude she was when she first met Bond when she sees Bond kissing Luffy she kind of I know I can understand her being upset but she kind of behaves like a huffy upset teenager just running away crying and it kind of you thought she was kind of stronger than that it's like to her it's all about Bond but um, so there's that there's that so on the whole, there's a weakening of a few characters in that film, which does bother me. I think that, you know, there could have been a kind of stronger ending with Bond and her, especially given that she works for the CIA, you know, so she's met, she's been more of a counterpart of Bond. Right. Thing is, do forget, I think, that she's a CIA agent. I completely forgot that she was a CIA agent because as much as she obviously starts off as an is she an agent or is she just an informant? I was I was never a hundred percent sure, but she um, she doesn't could, act like an agent, like someone who works for a sort of professional security service. She gets it on with Bond far too quickly. That transition where she's really pissed off at him after the bar fight, and then immediately on the boat gets down with him. I'm not in on that at all. I think that that was done really badly. Um, but yeah, Pam. If you look at if we're looking at License to Kill versus Goldeneye, Pam Bouvier is a weaker character than Natalia, by yeah, far. Natalia's quite consistent, I think. Yes. I'm just going to say a, a few... Yeah, I just feel... I mean, for me, Casino Royale could never be anywhere but the number one spot. Do you know what I mean? Because it's so... I feel like they achieved their mission, which was to was to make what effectively was the, the not just the perfect Bond film, but the the Bond film that everybody needed at the time, and I feel like they achieved that mission. In terms of License to Kill and Goldeneye, I mean, I do feel Goldeneye's definitely number two. Like, I can't... If, if Casino Royale... If we were doing this list before Casino Royale came out, Goldeneye would have been number one. Mm. Without a doubt. Uh, for me, the only thing I'll say on Casino Royale is I find the final third also a little... Uh, I just found my attention wafers. I don't know with all the stuff with Vesper. I feel like it's maybe just due to the film's length. It's like two and a half hours or something. And I think that can be a little taxing. I sometimes, I know talking about a film, it's like, it's mostly all great, so it's fine. But sometimes I do like a little bit of brevity. And again, a, a sort of two hour traditional film like GoldenEye License to Kill is maybe where my enjoyment comes from, that I would rather rewatch them than the sort of extra length of Casino Royale. It's a not very strong argument, I admit, but 
it is something I do think of. I do kind of feel that the stuff with Vesper at the end is a little weaker than the rest of the film. I don't know. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I, I think it's it's definitely for me. I mean, the main. I'm quite pleased actually because the three films I wanted are in the top three. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm quite happy right now. So it's just it's just working out where they would go. But I've thought a lot about the about about that. Do you know what I mean? Like about weighing Goldeneye's strengths against Casino Royale and License to Kill. Do you know what I mean? I've thought about. I've kind of weighed them up against each other. Um. And I don't. I, there's no denying that Casino Royale could use a bit of a tidy up at the, towards the end, a bit of an edit. Right. I mean, there's no, there's no denying that fact. But I don't feel like it's enough. I feel, or I don't feel like it's enough to take away from just the sheer brilliance of the rest of it. Okay. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that. Um, Whereas I feel like Goldeneye's a lot tighter, <clears throat> and License to Kill, but Goldeneye's tighter than License to Kill. I think. Goldeneye's. Goldeneye is. Goldeneye. I mean. Casino Royale, if you had, if that, you know, Goldeneye's like, I'm trying to think, it's like millimeters away from being number one to, for me. I mean, it's it's literally just, yeah, you know, it's it's, it's there's not much in it at all. It's like a horse race, and it's like just a wee tip, tip of the nose. Do you know what I mean? Over the line so, for Casino Royale. Steve, you would obviously feel it would be Goldeneye. That, in fact, you'd you'd probably agree that this list as we've written it is probably how. It would sit. Maybe you would swap license to kill for Casino Royale. Um, but I mean, my personal top three is at the moment. Yes, license to kill one, then Casino Royale, then Goldeneye. But considering what we've been saying, I can at this stage I would swap license and Goldeneye. I could put license to kill at three and Goldeneye perhaps at two. Um, I mean, I I that's exactly the way I would do. It. I love almost everything about License to Kill, but. Pam Bouvier isn't as strong a female character as Natalia. Goldeneye, it's, it's, I mean, it's Pierce Brosnan at his absolute finest. It is his best performance by a mile, and it's the, the everything, I mean, right from the goal, the pre-title is gripping. Um, I mean, it, it, it helps, I think, as well, that I've got so much sort of personal attachments, personal attachments to Goldeneye. It's, I mean, I'm trying to kind of nail down the sort of like, what is it? Is it the pers- characterization of Bond in License to Kill as the Stone Cold Killer over the sort of slightly um, all encompassing Bond that Br- Moore, uh, Brosnan is? That sort of he has elements of Connery, elements of Dalton, and elements of Moore within his Bond. Is that. I, I'm trying to work out what is the the thing that you like over like license to kill over the goldeneye and to an extent for Royale. me i think it's i think it's seeing bond i mean goldeneye bond is on the mission the whole time license to kill is a personal vendetta and it's watching the lengths that oh, bond right, would yeah. go to yeah to get revenge on because uh, again what it all comes back down to me for is this whole in my head again sorry head cannon this is a sequel for me to diamonds are forever Sorry, to um, oh, Honor Majesty's Majesty, Secret. Yeah. It's, it's this, this is the film that Diamonds Are Forever wasn't. And I got so angry at why Diamonds Are Forever wasn't a sequel to Honor Majesty's that this came along and I went, yes, this is what I've been waiting for for so long. Yeah, it just kind of filled a hole for me. <clears throat> yeah. Well, there's an element of the personal vendetta in Goldeneye as well. I mean, I think that's the thing. You know, he... That is actually true. I come back to the Trevelyan storyline and I think that that's his absolute greatest strength. That is what you 
that's what makes, I think, Goldeneye stronger than most of the other ones. It is, he's on the mission, but at the same time, he's been betrayed by his previous best mate, who is now going on to effectively do the opposite of what he was recruited to do with MI6. So there's, there is that element. I totally, I do get that. And that's why it's almost on a par with me for, with, uh, with License to Kill for me. What you said, Steve, about um, License to Kill feeling like a sequel to Majesties, if you look at it that way, one cool thing, this is open to interpretation, it's still number three for me, obviously, but you could say that, you know how Bond took the death of Lighter's wife and the naming of Lighter with the shark? It's like, Bond took it very, very personally, and you could say that, you, you saw obviously when Lighter's wife mentioned how Bond was married once, and he seemed kind of slightly hurt when she when she threw him the bookie and he was just like no and the light says oh he was married once you you can feel his rage and how upset he is in that film maybe it's because Bond knows what it's like to lose his wife on her wedding day you know the way the lighter lost his wife on their wedding day do you know what I mean it's like it, it's like he he knows how that feels it's, it's hurt him because it reminds him of his own situation so that gives an extra dimension yeah, it is. It's watching him at that raw anger. I mean, that scene with him where if it yeah. goes right, fine, I quit. And, you know, he punches the uh, sort of, I don't know, security guards or whatever that are with him to kind of escape. Um, That that just raw personal anger, which is in Goldeneye, but is the pretty much the theme to License to Go. It's like nothing else matters other than getting revenge. It's yes. It's this is this is as tricky as I suspected it would be. Yeah, I uh, think it's license to kill clear cut for me. But it's just the, the beauty of these podcasts is you when somebody brings up a point, you spot things. And it was when Steve brought up the whole Honor Majesty Secret Service angle. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's a great point because that that made me think about the whole Bond been married, Bond's wife getting killed. You know, but yeah, I mean. I would, uh, the, Goldeneye's only one of these three, like I said, that would have been in my top three. It would probably have been a, num- a number three of all Bond films, like on my personal list, but, um, for me, it's License to Kill number three. And that is, and like I said, it's strange because License to Kill, I think, is, is maybe the most watchable one to me. It's the most exciting, intense of the three, but it's just like, how does it fit in? Cause I think it's important to think how it fits in in the whole Bond franchise because it is a Bond podcast after all. Uh, yeah, and that's the beauty of this. As much as we all have our own uh, things that we prefer about the films, we also have our own interpretations of what makes this list. So that angle that you're taking, I lean more towards the ones I want to watch more. Or that certainly has a bigger maybe influence because I, I would probably still watch Doctor No... Um, maybe even over The Spy Who Loved Me sometimes or Goldfinger or whatever but I can see where it doesn't rank above them so I, I can I'm on board with that definitely Um, but if I really love a film and want to rewatch it and still love it each time that that there's obviously something that, that does it to, to make that happen so that's why I would give it the, the credit and, and put it high up on my list but okay I think we're coming round to License to Kill being third I know it's, it's probably because Fran, do you agree with that? I do. <clears throat> I personally would have said Casino Royale, but I don't think I don't think I've got a hope in hell of getting that in third. So I would concede on License to Kill. 
Steve, you would you would obviously have license to kill number one, but you would also can. I can. I'm coming round to look at again. Sort of look at it's my personal top one, number one. But looking at it objectively, I can I can see the argument for it being three. Because when you look at Goldeneye, action start to finish, Brosnan soundtrack. Um, it's I mean it's it's undeniably fantastic. I think I can come round to License to Kill being number three. Um, and I'm now intrigued to see what's going to happen now. Um. I've got a feeling the list as it is showing is probably how it's going to be. I suspect it might be, but I'm intrigued to hear the arguments for and against. So both... So Gordon, I know you can't see this, so Casino Royale and Goldeneye are showing in that order as one and two, and for the audience those are the two that we need to now order. Um, I personally feel it's Goldeneye purely on a fun factor. It's an all-encompassing Bond film that uh, I think is... Nails just as much as Casino Royale does in that way that they had the vision and they executed it. And but I also just personally enjoy Gold Goldeneye. Give it credit to uh, Martin Campbell though as the director. He directed both of these films. These are the two that he did. So he's obviously done something right. Um. So Fran, you've made it quite clear you're Casino Royale. Steve, I suspect you're the Casino Royale end of yes. things. And Gordon. You are the Goldeneye of these two, or Casino yeah. Royale? Goldeneye is not my my very favourite Bond film, but you know it's quite close. So I think it's, if it's a choice out of the two, it would be Goldeneye. That's funny. I did not see this this matchup. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I don't know if you thought I was anti Goldeneye. So the, the the only thing that was a a major issue to me with Goldeneye was the score. I think apart from that, it's pretty much flaw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, right, okay. I can see that. I love that. I love these little pairs. <laughs> um, so the thing is, right, this is the most unlikely twist ending ever, actually, because of all the teasing, Gordon, you teased Steve about Goldeneye for months, and now you've teamed up with Steve at the last <laughs> second. Um, that, nobody's going to deny this is a difficult one for all of us because you've got. Years of loving Goldeneye against the critical eye on on Casino Royale, objective the objective eye. Do you know what I mean? One might say the Golden Eye, but um, oh dear. I mean, I don't know. Like, I I feel like in a way, Gordon, right? I would have thought that Casino Royale would have been like someone sat down and went through the Bond super fans list of things that they would want. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like, I mean, you've never seen a more Fleming Bond than that. I don't. Well, think... that's. I would say that's more the they're ticking all the Fleming Bond boxes, but they're not ticking all the cinema Bond boxes with Casino Royale because I think Goldeneye is just more of a greatest hits of Bond from the cinema. Because I think Goldeneye has is a great blend of action and humor and suspense and great characters. It's just it's ticking more boxes on the whole. So the. That's why it ages, because it would never come down to. I mean, personally, between you know, for me, it would never come down to these two. But well, out of curiosity, what would have been your top few? Like, uh, so, Spy Who Loved Me, Goldfinger. Spy Who Loved Me. No, probably Spy Who Loved Me, Goldeneye, and Thunderball. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think Goldeneye would have been third. I feel that with Goldeneye, I think Brosnan. I don't. 
up until that point, a Bond actor hadn't hit the ground run like that in the first film. I mean, apart from, well, apart probably apart from Connery. Since Connery, I think Moore's great in Living Let Die. I think Lazenby only did one film, so it's a different scenario. Dalton living, with Dalton, I think, has best license to kill. So I think it's the first time since Doctor No that the Bond actors in the first film just really practically ticked every box. Because uh, there's, there's good humour in GoldenEye. I love, with me, seeing we get to this stage, it comes, there's, I don't want, we don't want to obviously say the same things all the time. So there's, I mean, there's subtle things as well, I think, can get overlooked in GoldenEye. I think just you see Bond kind of enjoying his passions, like driving a classic car. You see Bond in a casino doing something he enjoys. You see, you even see Bond swimming, which is, and that's kind of Fleming-esque because he used to swim quite a lot in the books. Um, he talks about, I'm sure he has a, he has a bottle of Bollinger at one point. I, when he's, yeah, when he's in the car, obviously with, with, um, the, Caroline, who's evaluating them, and then yeah, and the, I love the casino scene. If you go, if you look into that, you've got great um, one-liners from Brosnan. He talk, it's kind of, um, but it's showing Bond's intelligence. It's like Bond from the books. His intelligence. He says to he spots Xenia's Ferrari, and he says, "Oh, oh, all the the let, the the French registrations. They start with the letter L, even the counterfeit ones. You know, so it's like Bond." Not only is he being, um, is he given, not only is he kind of chatting up one of the, the women there, but who happens to be the, like, a, a, a real mastermind criminal, but also he's showing his detective skills. Like, he instantly knows he doesn't, he just knows from operating in France. Like, you know, just little things like that. He says your accent's Georgian, and he talks about, I like a lady who enjoys pulling rank. You know, you've got that humor you had from the mood era, and then you've got, like I said, Natalia's pretty consistent. Xenia is like a real top femme fatale. Do you know one thing about Xenia I love is like every male character you see around her in that film seems really intimidated by her apart from Bond. Yep. Completely. It just kind of shows that's part partly the strength of Bond. It's like he's Brosnan's just so kind of cool and calm and charming in that film. I think he, you see him obviously with a variety of outfits. He's got that cool sort of the classic kind of Bond black sort of overalls when he's jumping off the dam and he's obviously in the casino he's got the tux which is so important to the kind of classic Bond side of things. Trevelyan's obviously a great villain uh, starts off, you see the dynamic between Sean Bean and, and Brosnan it's just, yeah. You know I, 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 I agree, that's the thing Like I agree with with all good points about Goldeneye but I, can, I can't disagree with them but what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to do quite a shrewd thing I'm going to target Stephen Barry Right, Stephen, are you ready? Why, why me? What's this? Right, now, the, the reason I'm targeting you, Steve, is that Steve McCall can see. Right, so Steve McCall would put Casino Royale number one, right, and so would I. And then, and and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to convince Gordon because of his arguments there, right? Which were all great arguments, right? But I feel like Steve, that you are wondering. I want you to think, right, and just imagine that you were to take away the nostalgia from Goldeneye. And to look at the two films as a as a critical reviewer of movies, right? And the craft of cinema, and which one you would say was the better movie? Um, I mean, the points I made, I kind of made that point with Goldeneye that the 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 perfect blend as Gordon spoke about with humor, storyline, action, intensity, and characterization is all there, but it's also done at a nice brisk pace. 
that you can follow along, you know exactly what's happening, um, and you don't, your attention doesn't waver. We never spoke about any points where our attention wavers in Goldeneye. I do feel in Casino Royale, it's, it gets a bit lengthy. It just, it kind of, I would never say boards, bored me or anything like that, but I just, um, my attention did waver in that final third, and there's only so much of the the dressing of the set and the fantastic dialogue and exchanges can take you where sometimes eventually you do start to lose a wee bit of focus and that's maybe what happened with Casino Royale um, Yeah, I kind of agree with that I mean, surely I'll, I'll you know explain the things I think are great about Casino Royale but yeah, to me there's an, a distinction with those two films like the all the, the greatest hits of Bond you want to see ticked from a cinematic point of view, you know, with the humour and the style of Bond and the this, just the staples of the franchise, like the femme fatale, the vehicles, gadgetry, it kind of ticks all those boxes. But if what you're after is the Bond from the books, then Casino Royale ticks just about all of that. And it's so close to the book as well, Casino, you know. And what I love that is, it's taking, it's taking the, pretty much the storyline from the books, but it's bringing it so smoothly into the 21st century. Well, that's it. It does that very well. And I think, I think as well, what we have to acknowledge is that Bond, the Bond franchise might not. The Bond franchise was about to die. It was both of these, I think. Uh, they're, they're similar in that way that there was a golden age, yeah. six year gap. To be fair, it came from films that had strong. Yeah, they were well. Bond fans didn't like overly love them at first. I think *License to Kill* didn't do as well, mostly because it was violent, all these kind of things. But it's aged much better. But their six year gap was one of the biggest, still the biggest gap they've had. Nearly, we're about to have that now with the the Craig yeah. films. But I really feel that Casino Royale was, if we, I, 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 I can only say, I mean, genuinely, I don't, I, I don't feel like Goldeneye had as much of a, an enormous impact on the franchise as Casino Royale did in terms of bringing it back. Like, Ooh, I mean, I don't know. I, That's I, about I, even, I, I, I would I, say. I don't know. I don't think so. Like, I don't remember it being like that. Like, I, I mean, I remember loving it. Like, you know, but. I think there was more. I think there certainly was an international interest in Bond that came in um, with Casino Royale um, far more. Like I, I, I remember. Um, I mean, the internet was quite different back then, but I remember folk who were I used to talk to online from the states, and this is before I met, obviously before I met Holly and all that, and so it was folk I spoke to before um, who were saying you know, have you seen this film and all that kind of thing, and they'd never, do you know what I mean? They'd never really spoke about Bond films before. So it was quite interesting to see that happen. Um and I, I am convinced that if Casino Royale hadn't been the film it was, then we wouldn't that would have been it. It would have been over. I th- I reckon there wouldn't have been any more for a long, long time. They're very uh, close that way, I think, because they're I think people have said the same thing about Goldeneye. But you could say though the things were looking more disastrous because of the film proceeding. Casino Royale was die another day. They had more of a, they had to dig themselves out of more of a hole there in yeah, that yeah. respect. But yeah. in Goldeneye, I think from a financial upheaval point of view, and not and you know, I think from the things behind the scenes, I think they maybe had more work to do to reawaken the franchise with Goldeneye, and they didn't have the guidance of Cubby Broccoli anymore. He was still there, I think, in the background, but obviously had health issues and stuff. But with with Casino Royale, you still had Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson at the helm, so they had that still, and they managed to get Martin Campbell back. Well, that's it. I mean, the thing is, for me, I mean, I was the N64 king, best Goldeneye player I've ever met. 
I mean, you know, I mean, like, I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, I mean, I've yet to meet someone who could ace me at that game or Perfect Dark. And but it's one of those things where I love Goldeneye. I watched it a billion times. Um, you know, it's wrapped up in that N64 era for me. It's wrapped up in playing that game obsessively every single day after school and every weekend. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah, one thing. Because as much as I played Goldeneye a lot and had the game and completed the game, it, I wouldn't say... I don't think it's hugely influenced my love of the film. Because see, when I first, I'd played the game Goldeneye quite a while before I actually saw the film, I saw the film kind of way. And, and first viewing, I wasn't that into it. It was probably the second or third viewing I started to appreciate it. So I think with Goldeneye, I mean, it's more just about the, the general excitement and the just the the amount of spread it has over the encompassing the whole franchise so far. You've kind of got a bit of Connery's bond, you've got a bit of Moore's bond, you've got a bit of the the Dalton action bond. I mean, that, that, just... that, that, that's the thing, though, is that oh, with all of that, with all of those things that you guys are saying that I agree with, I still remember going into the cinema. I think I went on my own to see Casino Royale um, in Glasgow one day. I think it was when I was at uh, I was. I think I I just came back from a gap year and I was going back to uni again. And I remember thinking, I'll go pop in and see Casino Royale. I'll you know got a bit of cash in my pocket. I'll go up and see it. Well, I'm in Glasgow and I remember just sitting down in that you know opening sequence and then the, the like the whole noir bit and then the the that see as soon as that opening titles kicked in, man, I was I was right in there. I mean, I I. I I felt like I came out of there with my head spinning. I mean, I I, I thought that, I, and I remember like I wasn't a big one for going and buying loads of DVDs and stuff at the time. Like, but I remember like waiting and waiting and getting it. Do you know what I mean? And watching it and showing it to people, like saying I should really watch this. Although they're quite, although I said there, there's a real distinction between the two films. Though there's there's also I think similar. They're both strong in terms of cinematography and various things, dialogue. I think as well. Yeah. See, I love how in Goldeneye you've got the repetition, how Trevelyan to taunt Bond, he keep he repeats lines that he told him when he was his ally. He says like for England, James, and like he says closing time, James, last call, and all that. And then, um, but then some of the dialogue, just sort of standalone dialogue in Casino Royale, the humor, but subtle humor which works well, like between Bond and Vesper, like when they first enter the hotel, for example, you you've got um, like what is it again? Oh, he, t- um, he talks about how she's the Chancellor of the Exchequer or something. Like she's he, um, or, or the Treasury or something, he calls her. Like at the she, I like she yes. re- she fitted his, money, she yeah. got the clothes that fitted him. Like that she kinda one up. Yeah, that's that I really liked. And I like when Bond's about to Bond's kinda having a tongue in cheek argument with her going into the lift and she questions whether there'll be room for his ego. You know, it's that sort of thing, subtle humour then. Lashif asks why Bond changed his shirt and he says that that last round nearly killed me you know so yeah, just when you good. thought there wasn't going to be any good humour in that film you, you get a, a great line like that, but so. that, that that's the thing like I mean I do feel another thing that I mean I, I, I do prefer <clears throat> I suppose as an adult you know looking at it and looking at the two films rather than being younger like when I was you, what you want changes and I, I certainly feel that with Casino Royale, there was an element of that realism to it where I could really believe that what I was seeing. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's elements of Goldeneye that I'm not criticising because I enjoy them as well. 
but I don't enjoy them as much as Casino Royale in the sense that, you know, there are certain parts of Goldeneye that are are quite madcap, isn't there? So you've got like Boris screaming he's invincible and then immediately frozen, and you've got like Xenia trying to kill people with her super like powerful thighs, and you've got you know this kind of slightly there is that slightly campy edge that comes into Goldeneye that is that that is only only discernible because we're putting it in uh, beside Casino Royale, which doesn't really have that. Um, I always I, I feel Bond is a million times more believable in Casino Royale than he is in any other of the Bond films. You know that you feel like you're really getting a window into what it must be like to work for MI6 as a spy. I, Undoubtedly, I, I agree. Those yeah. Two. yeah, Undoubtedly, with those two, I think yeah, he's more believable in Casino Definitely. Royale. Did you? Did any of you guys find with Casino Royale? Maybe it was just me, but did you find some of the? The dialogue a bit unclear because I found watching it back in DVD there was times I had to turn the subtitles on there was a, a bit of mumbling going on it was a bit mumbly sometimes mm. although I, I think that was a, a problem of movies at that particular time I seem to recall more than about that that the music was always louder or the, the sound mix wasn't great but that I was, think, so, that was yeah, something think, that was happening in other films as well I remember that I've found that certainly with recent TV series or films that I've I've watched on Sky, I've definitely found that I find it's more of a clarity issue than maybe sometimes actually the mix with the volume and the you know the music, but I think it's more like a clarity thing, which annoyed me a little bit the last time I watched it. Right, I'm gonna especially go Mathis. Two six. Oh, sorry. You just keep Mathis. going. I'm just gonna go to the bathroom. Yeah, I find especially so with with Rainy Mathis because it. Co- Partly his foreign accent is, I don't know if he's Portuguese or something, but I kept it every time he spoke, I had to turn on the subtitles. Well, I can tell you that this is the most interesting end ever. I had a suspicion it was going to come down to these two. <laughs> um, I'll wait till Steve comes back before I jump back in again, but this, I'm not entirely sure how we're going to, because it, like, it looks like we're two on two. And it's going to be very, very difficult, I think, to to separate. I don't want to have to do a joint number one. But yeah. no, I think uh, I think Steve McCall, we're going to have to have a tactical discussion about how to <laughs> how to warp the minds of Gordon and Steve. We're going to have to do it. I think we can only mute ourselves. <laughs> so <laughs> that might. So I was thinking, unless you guys start another call to have a wee one to one, that'd be quite yeah. funny, actually. But it's just, yeah, it's one of those things where I know, I know that generally people would rate Casino Royale higher than Goldeneye. I know it's, that it's a head over heart thing because it's even with me, it's kind of heart says Goldeneye, but head says Casino Royale, um, yeah. and it's it just to me, it's it's, it's almost like it's logical that Casino is number one. But I, I totally get the sort of emotional attachment. Even I suppose even, in fairness, we've, we've effectively removed the emotional attachment angle and sort of dissected Goldeneye that way. Yeah. Um, but even then, still, I mean, I'll, I'll, I will I'll come in with what I was going to say, potentially a sort of grenades type thing. I actually completely agree that Goldeneye is a mix of all that's kind of the sort of perfect mix, if you like, of all the previous Bonds. But to me, that's kind of to its detriment. Because mm. some of the some of the Murira, um humor, for example, sneaks back into Goldeneye. You know, you've got a, 
despite how incredible uh, a femme fatale Xenia is, you then ruin that with the name on the top, which leads to all sorts of jokes and whatnot. And it's kind of, you'd, you'd have hoped that by 95 they'd have got over that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and then you've got some of the kind of music that's a little less serious. Natalia's theme still kind of, I, I, I don't like it. I think it kind of uh, takes me out of the film because I kind of listen to it and go, oh, it's a bit too schmaltzy. Steve, you're getting me started. <laughs> you're going over the music now. Well, that, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing, though, is that if you look at the Bond franchise today and you look at Die Another Day, right? So GoldenEye came out and it was great, and then you had um, Tomorrow Never Dies, and it was good, all right, apart from the fact that it vilified all journalists in the world and all that. Then you had The World Is Not Enough and then die another day, right? So it went on a downward trajectory precisely because they hadn't got rid of this, the kind of kitschy, campy stuff enough and it bled its way back in again, right? And and people were switching off from that. Casino Royale was like an adrenaline shot to the heart. And sure, all the films might not beat everyone's taste, but you can't deny the critical success of these movies as they've gone on and the, the, the spectacle of them and that they've rejuvenated the franchise and it. It's in a far, far, far stronger position now than it's ever been, and potentially got about to tip over the edge into another era in terms of like where we are now in, in the world and all that, in terms of casting and things like that. I mean, I would say that, that as a launching point for a future of Bond, it, it's unparalleled. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm with you mostly there, but the Bond franchise right now is... They're still huge because it's the legacy and the money spend and all that kind of stuff. And they're always going to be an event, I think. And you'd have to have about 10 films in a row of Die Another Days and Diamonds Are Forever for people just to go, you know what? And I'll be, you forget can't it. deny, though, that. The, 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 the Craig Era has been. like, But you see a lot in forums. People haven't taken to the Craig Era just as much as I suppose you would think. There's a lot of people that do feel that they lack the humor, they lack energy, they lack the charm of the earlier stuff and they aren't as good therefore as the earlier films i know but i tend to find that those voices are are not the majority ticket buyers i probably not i, think I it's mean skyfall was huge i, I mean you have good. you have to you have to play to your audience do you know what i mean i mean why do you think they're getting lashana lynch in i mean because they know that the audience in 2020 is expecting that hmm. you know and and maybe i mean even we might you know I mean, resist it ever so slightly and be like, well, you know, we'd... but times change and you have to go with the times and you have to accept it. And whether that's changes in tone or music or or whatever, and you have to objectively accept the quality of, of change. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like... yeah. GoldenEye is exact. sorry, Casino Royale is exactly what the Bond films should be. Now I think GoldenEye is, it's a best of, of the old sort of pre-reboots bonds so as a as a kind of icon of what was a sort of historical artifact if you like goldeneye is the sort of perfect blend of everything but it is it's a it's a to me it's a relic it's an element whereas casino royale for me is more the the future of bond it's what bond is and should be now and as you pointed out fran it's where it's kind of gone since then and it has brought it into if it wasn't if if the bond franchise had continued in the trajectory that die another day had taken it 
it would be dead by now because audiences today don't want that style of humor they don't want that ridiculousness it's not it's just it's not a thing now the audience the films would have died out with the old audience whereas casino royale i think has succeeded in modernizing the franchise and bringing new people in and it's an adrenaline shot to the heart exactly as you put it it's it's what has been necessary to revitalize it and bring it bang into the 21st century and effectively allow it to to keep going without Casino Royale. If Casino Royale hadn't happened, or perhaps if it had happened any later than it did, if, if there's a, they could have tried to bring it back today, but I think an audience would have gone, no, it's, it's too late now. We don't want all that Bond stuff back now if they'd continued on the, the Die Another Day trajectory. That, I suppose, is where I'm kind of coming at it from. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Um, yeah, maybe... Maybe it, I can maybe see it. I can maybe concede. Um, it's I, I, personally, I, I think you all know where I stand. So there's not much more I can probably add to it other than GoldenEye was what you are saying in terms of the modernizing. That's what GoldenEye did. But it's unfortunate that the legacy they weren't able to up to uphold that. Uh, kind of quality and consistency they actually took it they took the wrong elements of goldeneye and went further and multiplied it yes. and that's that's kind of then kind of impacted brosnan's bond and his legacy and maybe a little of goldeneye i think the game has helped keep goldeneye kind of uh, you know it got a second wind of success almost by virtue of it being this two years later a video game that hit you know struck a nerve with our age and but yeah, maybe you're right. Um, uh, you're surprising, Mister Barry, giving up on Goldeneye easily after all that. <laughs> after I mean, say easily. You know, I've been it for two hours. Yeah, exceptionally well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, well, I suppose not easily, but giving actually giving up on because actually, in, in this instance, I'm I'm quite keen in fighting for Goldeneye because I'll explain in simple terms. I can, if I want um, the most flaming S Bond, I would go to Casino Royale or maybe License to Kill. If I want the most enjoyable, escapist, fun Bond without caring about um, whether it's realistic or not, I would probably go to Moonraker. But if I want a perfect blend of the two, I'd probably go to Goldeneye or maybe Thunderbolt, possibly Goldeneye. Goldeneye for me, because to me, I think, I know I've said time and time again about how important it is to, for Bond to go back to his roots, but I've also said how much I love the humour and how endearing that is and how much I love the just the just the charm, you know, it's just there's so many subtle points in GoldenEye. There's that, uh, yeah. Whether it's an expression, a mannerism from Bond, whether it's a line from Pure Money Penny, whether it's a line from Alec Trevelyan. There's I just find in, if you compare the two, as much as I love Casino Royale, it's blander. It, 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 GoldenEye actually makes it look slightly bland. I think. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But I mean, I've not, I've not even mentioned. I'll mention briefly like the what I do really like about Casino Royale because to me it's even things like the color palette. I think it's got a very. If you look at like how the title scene is with the music, it's got this kind of it's very. There's a lot of red. I mean, you see that's some. There's something very nice about it. You get there's like a redness and a very kind of warm colors, through it, very kind of vivid colors throughout the film, which kind of gives it a slight edge. Like I said, you just get this weird kind of atmosphere. They bring a. Uh, just a casino game to life because they break it up enough by having Bond 
fighting in between, and obviously Bond almost losing his life. I think Vesper's like a real top Bond girl. Great music with David Arnold, and uh, Le Chiffre's a top villain. And I, I like as well, just Bond, This you could say actually Bond maybe acts like a detective and a spy more in Casino Royale. I really love when he, near the start of the film, when he, he pretends that he's, he, he crashes the, the dude's Range Rover, and then he uses that to, as a distraction, sneaks into the CCTV room. That stuff to me just really, really excites me. But yeah, like I said, I just I think Goldeneye actually makes Casino Royale look slightly bland. But if you're looking, it depends what you're looking for at the time. If you're looking for a dark and realistic Bond, then Casino is your film. If you were to introduce someone to Bond and uh, to to watch the franchise, would it have been would be Casino Royale would be the first one to go to? Do you think today? Yes, for me anyway. Yeah. Right. Whereas in the past. It- yeah, I mean, pre-2006, Goldeneye would have been the one. But, yeah, I mean, but then again, I might not have been introducing anybody to Bond at that point because of how terrible it had got. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's watch Goldeneye and then thinking, oh, four films later, we're going to be dying another day. Oh, God, you know. Well, at that stage, if you wanted to defend the Bond era and say, no, no, the Bond is actually brilliant watch, I would put on Goldeneye because you're right, it's the most exciting and it's the, it is the best of the pre-reboots era. yeah. Aye, I mean, I think I think that's that's the thing is what we're you know, I think it's really important to uh, to distinguish between the two. And the, I mean, we're getting to the point where you know we have to really think about that about I think what me and Steve McCall have been saying this like because because we've been kind of we've been circling round and saying similar things about about where things have gone. Um, I think it is really important to. I think Steve, you put it really well when you were talking about this idea of Goldeneye being a greatest hits thing, not maybe being the best thing in the world. Do you know what I mean? That you know, you see it with a lot of different fandoms these days, right? And I get it with Star Trek sometimes, where it's hard to accept change because you want things to be the way they were, you know. Um, and and a lot of fandoms these days are at war with each other, where you've got small groups of people who are like the super fans who know everything about it. And then you've got a lot of new fans who are coming into the new material that's being made. And it, it does get mixed up with politics and identity politics and uh, representation and all these things. And, it, it, you know, and it gets it becomes quite nasty and quite, quite vitriolic sometimes, some of these discussions. Um, whereas, I mean, I'm very much, you know, particularly over the past year and a half, I've, I've sort of kind of opened my eyes, I think, to change a lot more with with certain things that I've been a fan of. Um, and part of that process has been doing the Bondaf project because I've realised what it must be like to be someone who looks a little bit from the outside by doing this. Like, while I have a, a certain emotional attachment to Bond and the Bond franchise, I don't have that in the same way that I do to other franchises that I really am right into and love, you know? And I've had to question my own resistance to change in other areas because of the way that I've looked at the Bond franchise. And I've had to think to myself, there are valid arguments for why things should not always be in the past. Do you know what I mean? Why things should evolve and change over time. And I guess I kind of realised that with Casino Royale years ago without realising it, if that makes sense. I didn't apply it to other areas. And I think that that's something that... I think for sheer bravery as well, I would put Casino Royale at the very top. I mean, the the, the sheer balls that it, 
you know, there you go. I've picked a completely a completely masculine way of describing that, but whatever. You know, the the sheer bravery of that actually for to do what they did, you know, and to have succeeded as well, I think is really important. But I think and as testament to the changes that have happened since then and what it's gonna be like going forward. I feel like I'm on the side of the future. I feel like I feel like this debate's about the future and the past. Do you know what I mean? I feel like there's an element of that debate here. It's nostalgia versus it's head versus heart, like you said, Stephen McCall. I can also though see how it comes down to kind of better film because I mean, in fairness, Goldeneye of the two is undoubtedly the more exciting film. I completely come down on that. I just looking at it as a whole as a film of the whole for me, as I've as I've already said, it's it's brilliant, but it's a relic of the past. Whereas, as you've pointed out, it is a past versus future thing. And Casino Royale was the start of the future. It's got us to where we are today, and it's just so much more important and free of any of the. It, it's complete. It's almost completely free of any of the problematic elements of the previous films mm-hmm. of the old era. It's. Goldeneye is a best of, but unfortunately, because it's a best of everything, it includes elements of the the good and the bad, the exciting and the problematic. Whereas Casino Royale has completely eliminated what was wrong with the previous films and booted it headfirst into the twenty first century. The important yeah. thing is, here we've we've highlighted two key points. Well, one key point out of both the films is what they did for the franchise at that time really revitalised the franchise. So, I mean, it's less important was number one, number two. I suppose it's really it's, it's the main thing is we. I think we have highlighted the huge amount of highs in both the films. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's it. I mean, it, it almost causes me pain doing a top ten of something where I know the films like this, especially when you get to your top three like this. Because Goldeneye is, yeah, it's like it's like I'm betraying an old friend or something. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, you have to that. focus on the negative points to make your to get it's another almost, one above it. It's almost like leaving someone behind. It's like you know, you don't, you don't, you know, but you have to make the choice about about what one you're going to choose. Do you know what I mean? I guess, I guess, in a way, like I'd already had this argument with myself. Do you know what I mean? I'd already thought this through, you know, um, when I was putting my own list together because it was like this already. I mean, it was License to Kill was number three, Goldeneye was my number two, and Casino was number one. Do you know what I mean? So I'd already had to sit down and think, right, you know, what are the different threads of the argument? You know, um, as as movies, as Bond movies, as in terms of impact, in terms of what happened in the years subsequent in terms of how they fit into today's world you know all these different things and what do they mean to me you know were all questions i was considering about it um and, and i could only come to one conclusion i could only you know there was only one conclusion that i could draw from it really i mean with all of the different arguments what's also interesting is i was seeing our top three because we've, we've all acknowledged how important Roger Moore and Sean Connery were to the Bond franchise, but they none of their films have got into our top three. You know, we've got a Brosnan, a Dalton, and a Craig. Well, it's almost like Brosnan is them, in a way. Uh, because, yeah. You know, because because of the way Goldeneye is, Goldeneye, we have said it's like a sort of greatest hits of all the other Bonds, but it's done in a way that is modern and 
fresh yeah, for the time. Yeah, because Rosen didn't sound like a pastiche when he was doing it. He, and that's a lot of credit due to obviously the writers and the, the director for that. You know, they did it. They did it really well. Yeah. I mean, it's funny looking at the list because all of the Bonds make it into the top 10. Every one of them. Moore has suffered the most, I think, having seven films. Only one of his got in the top 10. Most of his comprised the lower half of the, the list. Um, Craig got two. One of them just scraping into the top 10. Um, yeah, it's an interesting kind of list, but it's good to see that all of them made it in to, to the top 10. Yeah, yeah, especially... Um... Well, Lazenby had one shot Lazenby, and he made it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's the luckiest guy ever. <laughs> well, you would have put him higher, so fair play yeah. there. Okay, I think. Um, look, I'm willing to concede. I think we've fought for Goldeneye. I don't. I don't see it um, as getting anywhere without someone conceding, and I'm willing to to do that. Um, it's. A Casino Royale is a fantastic film and I'm not, you know, begrudging it in any way. It's um it's tied in my own list. Well, it's actually fourth in mine behind the two Dalton films, but um I think maybe more rewatching of it will maybe maybe make me appreciate it. My main issue is I think the length of the film. Um that's just kind of be a bit over overwhelming. I don't know, just something about that. But, you know, I don't think um I don't think we're changing your mind on this and and Steve as well I think uh this the arguments are made you're made for for goldeneye Gordon of course like I'm with you <laughs> like it's it pains me to but you all knew I was gonna fight for goldeneye so. but then again you know it, it, it's Casino Royale makes it but just do you oh, know what I mean exceptionally exceptionally close call absolutely yeah. you're right yeah I think if I was gonna let goldeneye you know be beaten by any film i would probably only said that just I well it just goes to show how it. good it just goes to show how good golden eye is that that's the only one that would have a hope do you know what i mean i mean that's the thing i mean to, to beat golden eye they had to destroy everything that had ever been done <laughs> i mean like that's how important golden eye actually is just shows you what martin campbell that's his two films that's insane they really should try and get him back <laughs> yeah. um, okay Gordon sorry I know that uh, I'm letting the side down here by conceding how do, how do you feel about it uh, it's interesting the way it's worked out I'm the last one fine for Golden because I, w- I would in this instance but um, you know obviously we've kind of got three against one now so it's clear because you know well, well, I, I, mean, suppose, I, I mean I'm not in the sense like I'm just more sort of sidestepping away I just don't feel that there's much more we can say about Goldeneye, I feel like the entire podcast I went on about it and I feel like in many other podcasts I think I'd be just repeating myself and I don't know if there's much more I could say that makes it better than Goldeneye other than I just enjoy it more. I just have a much more, it's a thrill ride for me um, and it's the dialogue for me maybe pips it as well. It's much more quotable but then the argument might be that I've seen it more and I grew up with it. So I know that wouldn't maybe stand. Um, I suppose my final point would be we are a Bond podcast after all and we wouldn't have... Bond wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the books and Casino Royale is Bond from the books. Yeah, yeah. I have read Casino Royale and so there's definitely some enjoyment re-watching the film after having read the book um, and, and seeing what they took from it. Obviously, there's a lot more action than that, you know, that first section in the, in the, in the film. The 
the parkour stuff and all that none of that's in it you know it isn't it is i mean some of that is kind of crazy actually <laughs> what the what a secret agent would do but it doesn't go to even golden eyes kind of lengths i suppose okay i will uh put it in then i think we're gonna be nearly on a consensus if we can call it that golden eye number two which would mean casino royale is our number one bond film wow i can't <laughs> believe it i've actually done it it's quite an intriguing list especially when we look at the whole way down right down to number 24 yeah actually um, shout, if you asked me for like my preconceived notions before we started this project i would have never thought that both dalton films would get into the top five uh for me they are they're actually lower ranked one no i don't one. mean from my point of view i just mean from how you oh yeah yeah not everyone had seen both of them when we started this so just i just didn't i had a feeling that they might not be exciting enough but it's really interesting and i'm glad of that because i said right from the start how how much I liked Dalton and I thought his films were underrated because they are. I mean, I'm taking nothing away from him by not. I just said that, you know, I wouldn't have had both. Maybe License to Kill would have been top five. Living Galaxy is a bit lower down, but it's really, really interesting looking at, looking at that whole list. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we nailed it though. Like, I really do think that we have. There's not many films I completely disagree with. Like, the arguments made for each of them and where they got to. I'm pretty much on board with. Uh, I can see the list now, man. You don't delete it. We've done all that. And you're, are you just moving things? That's all right. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like you're deleting everything. <laughs> You've run the whole list and then taken them all away. Oh, good stuff. I'll finish off by reading them out. Yeah. I feel like we need the Top of the Pops theme tune. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, that Led Zeppelin song. Yeah. it's Yeah, looking at that Top 24, it, it makes sense as a list. There's nothing in it I think I massively i mean there's there's elements that are obviously different to my personal top 24 but as a list as a consider what we've done over the last 20 months i think it is it actually considering all of our discussions it makes perfect sense oh so, steve move move list. octopusy back one what if you if you click on octopusy mm-hmm. click on the 13th the left to it and press delete oh yeah sorry oh. sorry steve hey. finish what you're saying now no, no, I've I, I pretty much finished. I'm just saying our list. I think as a consensus, as a podcast, it's actually perfect. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think there's strong rationale for every every one here. If you look at all our individual reviews, and what, of course, um, we'll mention that obviously you can get it all on Spotify and all that as well. But the if, with those strong rationale, especially when you listen to our reviews and the way we've broken them down. You know, I don't think any respectable person could really argue with with this. I mean, I would. I mean, it might have looked quite strange if we had Dino the Day in the top five, because overall, it's fair enough. I mean, it's obviously all this is subjective, but the general consensus is that's quite an unpopular film because of the lack of realism. So there's, you know, there's. It's been fun. This there's been so much good discussion. Yeah, and there's a like I said, I'll just go back. What I said before is a Bond film for everyone. Yeah, I'm looking at it and it's amazing. I feel like most of it kind of aligns. Well, there's a few outliers certainly, but most of it yeah. aligns with what I feel. Uh, what's everyone's biggest surprise here? Then uh, I would say um, 
I was quite surprised that Goldfinger got as high as it did, given our consternation about the about the movie before. But then again, I was looking at it completely differently to everybody else. Um, I was surprised I, by that. Yeah. I think for um, me, if it was based on that alone, like the Bond is dated, like review, I mean, obviously be the last film sort of thing. But I suppose it's you know the scales to these things and it, it, other the other things that brought it on brought it up. But yeah sixth i think a lot of bond fans would look at that and say that's quite a low like there's maybe a a traditional bond fan that might look at it and say no it should be higher or something who knows yeah yeah well i don't know i mean apart from that i mean i'm i'm not i'm not massively surprised i guess in a way i feel apart from like honor majesties i feel like i kind of got my own way a wee bit with this list like all right look at it. rub it in <laughs> <laughs> uh well, I, I did owe Steve, so that's what, you know, I had to concede, you know. But no, I mean, I'm looking at it and, uh, yeah, I think I think a lot of Bond fans would probably have Thunderball higher, maybe, I'm trying to work out. Um, we've probably got Tomorrow Never Dies slightly higher, but I think I, I really like that, so that's maybe why, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think most of it, matches though maybe i think maybe a lot of bond fans wouldn't have put the two dalton films in so high but i it, think on the whole it probably it looks to me as if if someone just looked at that listen hand heard a podcast they would think these guys like the more gritty and realistic bond films because in the top five you've got casino living daylights and license to kill in the top 10 you've got dr no on our majesties and from russia with love so you would probably think that and then obviously some of the more fantastical ones are Later in the list, like Moonraker, Golden, well, not Golden Moonraker, um, Die Another Day, you know, yeah, like not enough. Most of the mid-tier Bond films are all comprised of Moore's films, all the sort of sl- slightly sillier films, you know, Oxpussy, yeah. uh, Moonraker, For Your Eyes Only. Well, For Your Eyes Only is even less silly as well, but again, and Man with the Golden Gun. So, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting. Uh, turnout i will read through these now to finalize and then we will finish up so number 24 diamonds are forever that's our worst bond film and number 23 die another day 22 you only live twice number 21 the man with the golden gun number 20 the world is not enough number 19 specter number 18 for your eyes only number 17 quantum of solace number 16 moonraker number 15 thunderball number 14 a view to a kill number 13 octopussy number 12 tomorrow never dies and number 11 just missing out the top 10 is live and let die and now the top 10 that we have just agreed on this podcast number 10 skyfall number 9 Doctor No, number eight, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, number seven, From Russia with Love, number six, Goldfinger, number five, The Spy Who Loved Me, number four, The Living Daylights, number three, License to Kill, number two, begrudgingly, Goldeneye, and number one, our winner and best Bond film, ranked by the Bond Daft Project, Casino Royale, 2006's film directed by martin campbell notably also of director of goldeneye yep we've done it guys we have finished the project and we have ranked the films there's not much more to do i would say uh, i'm going to start eventually obviously editing all the backlog of all the others but uh, if we can maybe we can now if 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 you can find the time and would like to i would love it to see your actual lists um at least for the best films if you want to do any others um feel free I'm going to dabble in a few of them. 
villains and things like that but certainly for the films i'd love to see your your rank lists and maybe a wee point about them just to argue the case to compare so that would be good to get on the website and yeah and for everyone else listening to this the uh, you can listen to this on soundcloud spotify apple podcasts and of course check the actual website uh capiche that's k-a-p-e-e-s-h dot online and there you'll find all the other content we've got some old retro game reviews as well and all of the podcasts as well as a few kind of uh more out there random things uh, we've done over the past few years thanks guys for joining me this has been epic i can't believe we've done it we're ending 2020 with the end of the bondaf project of course we will come back together at some point for no time to die whenever that comes out and hopefully we can maybe do a couple of wee bonus episodes as well reviewing the casino royale parody maybe and also I would say the four of us should maybe watch. I know we did it, Gordon, but I think maybe we should watch Never Say Never Again um, just to get that one ranked as a proper foursome. Yeah, for sake of completeness, maybe. But yeah, because a lot of see, people would have put that in their list. That would have been ranked. A lot of Bond fans feel that it is 25 films already. Yeah, um, it would be weird saying it in the same list as Thunderball, you know, because it's a, it's a remake, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, maybe it will get the dust will be brushed off the the old DVD case of Never Say Never Again. I mean, yeah, I mean it got a one star from us both, but maybe on a rewatch it'll um, maybe go up a couple of stars. You never know, but um, highly doubtful. Anyways, I don't want to keep this going any longer than it is. Thanks for listening, and the Bondar Project may return. Okay, thanks. Bye bye.